0: Hello, hello. Thanks for uh, checking out the Blissful Prospecting podcast. Uh, If you're looking for actionable tips, advice on how to get better results from your cold outreach or from your team's cold outreach, so your cold emails, cold calls, et cetera, so you can land more meetings with your ideal prospects, you're definitely in the right place. Today, we got an episode of Sales Rants with my good friend, Jeff Bajoric. Let's get to the episode. Uh, I'm super excited. We got some really good topics for you today. So if you guys don't know who Jeff is or haven't checked out his stuff, he runs a consulting company course works with a lot of cool companies, helps primarily on the sales end of things. Very good motivator, someone that I uh, consider a very good friend and I totally respect him in his content. So I definitely would check out JeffBajoric.com. He's got a cool community that he's running as well. That I'm a part of. And the other thing, too, is he's got one of my favorite sales podcasts. It's called The Why in the Buy. So make sure to check that out. Today, we're talking about four topics. Uh, we're starting off with a heavy hitter here. Why COVID is great for sales. That's the first topic. Second topic is we're going to talk about apologies versus acknowledgement. We've talked about this on the podcast before, so it'd be a little bit more of a deeper dive into what that means. A third, we're going to talk about morning routines. Jeff actually feels that Morning routines are for people without anxiety. And what are some of the barriers that get in the way of people's morning routines? And then lastly, we're going to talk about the problem with feedback, both how it's given and how it's received. So thanks for checking out the podcast today. Let's get to the sales rants.
1: Okay,
0: COVID. A year ago, we were having very different conversations about COVID. I remember I called you basically panicking, like, dude, what are we gonna do, man? Are people still gonna need us? And you, very calmly, Jason, have you talked to your clients yet? What do they need No, Okay, go talk to them. Why don't you start with that? And it was just the best advice that I needed to hear at that time. And you get a whole different twist on COVID. So how are you looking at COVID now?
1: Oh, I think COVID is gonna be one of the greatest things to happen (laughs) to salespeople in a generation. Okay. That's the tweet. All right. What has it forced us to do? It's forced us, to your point, focus back on the client instead of ourselves. Always a good thing. It's forcing us to remember exactly what's important. And we've talked about this before. Message is more important than medium. And so, like, gosh, I, I wrote a whole book on this, right, about selling in the pandemic and focusing on what's most important. But the standard for our meetings has changed. The expectations for our meetings has changed. It means we're going to be able to do more, you know, instead of flying to meetings and having to meet everybody face-to-face, this kind of communication, it's certainly more accepted. It becomes more valuable. You can have more meetings in a day and then use the power of those face-to-face meetings to close deals and to really move things along. I think that's going to change things. I think discipline is better now. I think we've been forced to open up our minds and identify what possibilities are out there instead of being so set in our ways. Because if you were going to be successful over this past year, and quite frankly, over the next six to nine months, at least, let's be fair, you're gonna have to be resilient, you're gonna have to be resourceful, you're gonna have to be creative. Like all of those kind of intangible, let's call them soft skills that salespeople have, it is going to separate the best from the rest. And it is going to make it much more clear of what you need to practice and work on in order to take that next step in your career. This is one of those industry-defining, profession-defining, I think, kind of uh, arenas that we're in right now. I I don't think there's any question that salespeople are gonna be better off in the long-term for COVID.
0: Yeah, oh man, there's so much that we could dig into here. (laughs) In fact, we only had a couple minutes, huh? The other thing that really sticks out to me, because I'm, of course, thinking about this through a prospecting lens, is that every outside salesperson had to think about, how do I get meetings if I can't go there in person? If there's not a reason for me to go there and hang out with them in person or to drop by their office unexpectedly, how do I get a meeting? And I wish I knew what some of the more macro parts of that looked like, but I bet over half of outside sales reps didn't have any any wherewithal about... How do I send an email to someone and get them to take a meeting with me? Oh, yeah. What's an outbound sequence, a call, et cetera? That part of it, I think, like, that's an absolute must. Inside, outside sales, whatever you're doing, like, you have to be able to get meetings with people and get them to take them virtually.
1: It's really interesting that you put it in those terms because... In the early 2000s, there was the dot-com bubble and then there was the financial, the real estate and, and the, the banking crisis and stuff like that. And you saw a lot of people moving from outside sales teams to inside sales teams. And then there were still some industries where they had just outside salespeople because in that particular industry or in those businesses, that's what you had. Well, now all of a sudden, everything that we've learned from inside sales teams is now all of a sudden applicable to outside sales teams too. So think about just the fundamentals and the blocking and tackling and how fundamentally, sorry, they were different for so long, but now they're being combined into almost a joint set of best practices. Are we going to see fewer people in the field? Yes, because this is also a lesson for some companies to bring their people out of the field because you can be so effective from the inside. But when you harness the best practices from both inside and outside, what do you get? It sounds like a really effective sales machine. And your messaging has to be sharper. Your intentions have to be clearer. You have to be more persistent. There's a little bit more competition. All of these things are good. Why is everybody so busy still talking about how, well, I just can't wait to get back in front of my customer face-to-face again. Do something to make yourself better. Sorry. Yeah.
0: Dude, I don't know if you see this either with the clients you work with, but I used to see a stigma with sales, outside salespeople. Oh, those are inside salespeople. Those people just sit at the desk all day. They don't actually do much face-to-face. And there's like this stigma around like, oh, we're better than them. And it's like, you know what? I bet you were wanting to meet with those inside salespeople after this to be like, hey, you're really good at getting email people to take meetings through emails and phone. How do I do that? You know, and I think like removing, there was almost like we talk about silos in businesses. Well, there's silos within sales departments. Oh, yeah. Inside versus outside, you know, account managers versus account executives versus SDRs. There's so much like silo creation there. I think this is removing a lot of those silos too.
1: It should. You know what I like about inside salespeople? They do one thing. They sell. Yep. That's it. You know what outside salespeople do? They drive. They stop for coffee. They listen to podcasts, listen to audible or audio books they talk to each other, you know. they get in front of customers and they prospect and they do those things. And sometimes those meetings are best conducted face-to-face. But inside salespeople, all they do is sell. And I don't know if we have enough time left in this segment to really dig into this, but when I started with RTI in 2008, I actually had an inside salesperson on my team that I did not split any commission with. She was paid as well as I was. We worked really, really well together as a team, even though we were calling on the same geography. Like if you are siloing yourself from another sales department on your team, the best thing you can do is go over there, spend a day and figure out what they do every single day because they've got skills that you don't have. The bar is higher, unquestionably. And there are strengths on either side of that, inside, outside, you know, silo, but you just appreciate what the other does because you both go about it differently. There's no way you don't both get better from that experience. Love it, man. What is the difference to you between an apology and acknowledging that you did something wrong, right? Like, you know, I think apologies are thrown around a little quickly. My kids certainly do. Oh, sorry. Like, you didn't mean that. It's something that I think things that are masked as apologies aren't really apologies. And sometimes all the apology you really need is to acknowledge that you did something wrong or, or maybe you stepped out of line with someone like you've been noodling on this concept and breaking these two terms apart. What's on your mind with that?
0: I wrote a post about it last week, depending on when this airs, dude, probably one of my most active posts, like ever. A lot of people seem to really respond to it. And it came from when I listened to cold calls, you know what they sound like? Hey, Jeff, this is Jason with Bullsful Prospecting. Oh, I'm so sorry for interrupting you. Or the prospect will be like, oh, I'm busy. Oh, my God, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. And people are apologizing. We don't have enough time to talk about, you know, when and you should and shouldn't apologize and all this other stuff. But in short, an apology typically is when you hurt someone. It doesn't even have to be intentional. It could be an accident. But if you affect and hurt that other person, an apology is required. Well, you know what, when you're cold calling someone, you're not hurting them in any way at all, unless I said something really derogatory towards you. Right, right. <laughs> Assuming that you don't say anything incredibly offensive to the person, you didn't do anything wrong. But you know what, when you're interrupting someone, you know what they need from that interaction? They need to be acknowledged. Yes. So instead of saying, I'm sorry for interrupting you, sounds like I'm at a country in the middle of something. What does that do for the prospect? It tells the prospect that you have some EQ, man. You know what? Like you're an intelligent person that understands that, hey, they picked up this phone, probably weren't expecting a cold call, might've thought it was someone else. And you're acknowledging that you might've caught them in the middle of something. And it gives that person that little bit of like, oh, I feel acknowledged. Like, you know what? I'll I'll listen to you. What do you got? And that's all it takes. And it really came from that, man, listening to so many recordings of people apologizing for doing their job. That's what gets me fired up. You did nothing wrong. You don't need to apologize for doing your job.
1: If you feel like you need to apologize for doing your job, you should get a different job. Yep. Um, I'm sorry that I called to bother you with an opportunity that could fundamentally alter the success and the arc of your business. You really didn't want to talk to me right now. So I guess I'll just hang up before you get a chance to hang up on me. The idea that you are digging yourself into a hole before you even start a conversation, you've barely connected, but all of a sudden you're already putting yourself on the defensive and giving them an opportunity to just brush you away even more quickly. Why on earth would you do that? How on earth do you feel that that gives you any leverage, standing, pride, value, support, anything? Like, think about it. And to me, it's like, You're serious? Like, do you listen to yourself when you're on these calls? If I start off with an apology, how far is that conversation gonna go? Now, to your point, yeah, you have to acknowledge, hey, Jason, look, I recognize that this is not the optimal time for you to drop everything you're doing and give me 10 minutes to talk about how I can help your business double its growth, maybe more over the next 18 months. However, it's important enough that we probably should discuss it. When's a good time? I'm not apologizing for calling you. Maybe, maybe there's a sorry, not sorry, kind of self-deprecating humor in there to basically play off the fact that so many people call and are sorry. And maybe that, if you're listening to this right now, maybe you start talking about, hey, I know a lot of people who catch you on the phone apologize, but I'm not gonna apologize because I've got something that's so important that you can't afford to not give me 10 minutes next Tuesday, how's two o'clock? Like you'll get some laughs out of that. Yep. But I just don't understand digging a hole before you even get started. Why would you make it harder than it already is?
0: Yep. Another twist I'll take on this too with apologies is think about how you feel when someone is overly apologetic to you in your personal life. I had a uh, person that I was in a business venture with that there was some stuff that came up and I didn't want to be friends with him anymore because of like the dynamic was starting to get a little needy on his end. Yeah. (laughs) Without any further detail. Okay. (laughs) And... He overreacted to something when I was telling him about this and just like had a very, very big reaction to it, took a lot of offense to it, all that other stuff. And then he sent and sends me an email a week later that says, hey, I'm not doing this for you, but I just need to apologize uh, and acknowledge this for myself. So he wanted to apologize to me and said that he was not doing that for me. He was doing it for himself. And how did that make me feel? I'm like, I really don't give a shit about what you're saying or anything in this email if you're just doing it for yourself. So a real apology is for the other person. So if you're apologizing to someone, a prospect, whatever, because you think it'll make you feel better, that's not a good reason to apologize to someone anyway. So think about what the prospect needs from the interaction most people apologize in those instances because I ask these reps, they apologize because it makes them feel better because they feel like a jerk for interrupting the person. Mm. But the prospect doesn't see it like that.
1: I Yeah, I like that. Look, I say this all the time. Your prospect will not allow you to waste their time twice. Yep. So be very careful about the words you choose to use when you're on the phone with them or when you're with them. And look, apologize if you screw up. Mm-hmm. Take full responsibility if you screw up but if you're proactively reaching out to them or if you're doing it for yourself, like, look, I get it. Forgiveness is not about the person who's being forgiven. It's about the forgiver. That's fine. But apologizing, I don't think works exactly the same way. And if that's really what it takes, then like scream into your pillow and apologize. Like if you're the only one who needs to hear it, then do it someplace where you're not wasting the other person's time. Right. Uh, I don't know what to say to that. (laughs) (laughs) Good way to wrap it up. Let's talk about morning routines. What would you like to know about my morning routine? (laughs) I mean,
0: I was Miracle Morning Hal Elrod for a while, a couple of years, the first hour of my day, you know, going through this elaborate morning routine. And um, I got really burnt out of that. And like getting up in the morning started to feel like a lot of work versus being something I look forward to, which now... I don't even really do that. I mean, like, I meditate in the morning for 10 minutes and then the rest of the 50 minutes of that hour are just spent learning something that I wanna learn. It could be business related, it could be personal, but I look forward to that in the morning. So I wanna get up in yeah. bed. You got a take on morning routines here. And I'm really curious like what it is and like what kind of barriers you see to morning routines. Like how do you approach this topic?
1: <sighs> I have never had a consistent morning routine. Unless you go back to high school, which involved waking up 11 minutes before my ride arrived, jumping in the shower real quick, grabbing a bite to eat, maybe a bagel or something on the way out, kissing my mom goodbye and and getting out the door.
0: Let me guess. You did not brush your teeth in the morning in high school. No, I did.
1: Okay, You got to do that. (laughs) It was real quick. But now with so many things, running a business, having a family, carrying the responsibility of so many things it's really difficult to commit to doing something every morning because every morning looks a little bit different. And even when you distill those down to the common denominators and things, it it was always really difficult for me. And what I found was as I went from one routine to the next, none of them felt good. It's not that I didn't try. I tried a bunch of them. I'm going to wake up, I'm going to work out first thing. And I'd work out and it would feel like, but this is my mentally creative time. I should be writing. I should be thinking. But then you'd start your day with that. As soon as you sit down in this chair, all of a sudden you start to get rid of, you lose some control over your day and then you get to eight o'clock at night, you're beat and it's like, wow, I didn't work out today. So how many things can you realistically do first, right? And what I've started to do now is I've started to delegate more of the tasks around the busy work and the business administration of my, my company and what I do. I have more time and I feel a little less anxious about all the things I need to do during the day. And it just made me think like, I think the biggest barrier to a solid morning routine is the anxiety of how many things you have to do during the day. Mm -hmm. And it's not rational. Most anxiety isn't. But like just as I start to delegate more things and I start to appreciate how much more effective I am when I can spend 45 minutes in the morning in the dark with a cup of coffee and no sound, no devices, no nothing in front of me, I'm starting to realize as I kind of just get rid of some of that stuff, how much it enables. I'm curious what you take. I've, I've got another thought that I'll get to, but I'm curious what you think.
0: Yeah. The part that's tough for me to comment, I don't have kids, man. So a morning routine is very easy. It's very easy for me to be super consistent, especially if, you know, not having any infants, you know, so anyone that's got kids and it's got to get kids ready in the morning. I mean, you got a whole nother thing that I can't even you know comment on, but what I kind of heard from you is like kind of removing some of the things that you might be anxious about and like looking for ways to kind of reduce you know, that anxiety. God, I think if you just anchor your morning around one thing, it doesn't have to be seven things like Miracle Morning. And I love Hal all right, I got a chance to interview him several years ago and I, I love that thing. Yeah. But if you're trying to anchor your morning around five, 10, a dozen things, to me, that's kind of like trying to get started with like working out for the first time. And you're like, yeah, I'm going to lift weights five times a week for an hour each time and we're going to get after it. And you haven't lifted a weight in several years or ever before. It's completely unsustainable. So I think anchoring around one thing, you know, for me, it happens to be just like a 10 minute meditation. Mm -hmm. If I get a chance to do more stuff around that, I can, but that's the thing I can anchor my morning around that like, okay, I get off to a good start. I can like make that happen like 99% of the time. I think it's the consistency, really, whatever that is, it could be reading a book, it could be writing, it could just be drinking coffee by yourself, like whatever it is, like having some sort of consistency that you can anchor your morning around.
1: So, you just led me right into my next point, okay. <laughs> which I hoped for but couldn't quite expect. You got to pick one thing. Yep. So, I believe that the morning routine is as much about the things that you don't do as it is about the things that you do, like a lot of things in business. And, you know, look, full disclosure, my kids, they get themselves dressed, they feed themselves, like they're old enough at this point to where they don't need a whole lot of attention. They're actually looking for less attention from dear old dad in the morning than I'm willing to give them, right? but it's that okay what do i do and when you wake up and you know you got to hit the ground running it's better sometimes and i function better if i can just lay everything out and there's a place for everything and everything has its place and this is going to take 5 minutes so from 705 to 710 i'm going to do this and then whatever and i could do those things but that requires a level of discipline that i just don't have I mean, i'm a pretty disciplined guy but every minute of my day that's a bit much for me so Sometimes it's looking for the right way to make yourself feel better about the million things you feel like you have to do. Other times it's like, I'm just gonna get up earlier before anybody could reasonably expect me to do that. But I am someone who doesn't sit still well. And so for me to sit still at all, even though I know that meditation is important, even though I know I do my best work first thing in the morning when the lights are still out and I can be as creative as possible with nobody pulling on my my shirt sleeve, it's still tough to say, okay, I've got this precious resource of bandwidth right now. Where do I deploy it first? That paradox of choice gets in the way. And it's just more your routines are easier said than done. Yeah. Well, you bring it back to the one thing, which is a totally one
0: of my favorite books. Yeah. But I think that's like the actionable thing here is get centered around your one thing. Like what is that one thing that has the biggest domino effect on everything that you do throughout the day? And you know, I'm not a huge proponent of optimizing every minute of every day. That sounds completely like fucking exhausting, you know, to me. And I, I've I've been like that before, and it completely taps me out mentally. And I have no mental bandwidth for my wife or my dog or like my friends or anything like that when I treat it like that. So I think that's like, hey, what is that one thing that's going to have the domino effect? And you know what? If check an email first thing in the morning, because you know what? They say not to check email first thing in the morning. There's a lot of Fortune 500 executives. That's the very first thing that they do, and they're pretty successful, (laughs) you know? So that's the thing that is going to have the domino effect on the rest of the day. Do it. So I think it's like just go contrary to any advice you've ever heard and think about like, what's that thing that's going to have the biggest domino effect and everything else?
1: Well, and that requires people thinking for themselves. And a lot of people don't like doing that. And there we've got, you know, the biggest issue, probably. I'm going to give you a little feedback. Okay. (laughs) I like these little conversations we have, Wish we did them a little more often, but we can't overload people. And no, I I really, that, that was a rather awkward way to introduce this segment. Jason, feedback is something that Isn't given properly or received properly in companies, yet it is absolutely vital, particularly when you think about accountability to a result or an outcome, right? Like if you don't know where you are, where you stand, what you're doing, how to improve, how do you progress, right? Why do so many companies screw this up?
0: I think that. People look at the interaction between a sales manager and a rep or a director or VP of sales and their managers. I think they look at it differently than like their, like how you would interact with people in your personal life. And the way people give feedback, I was working with a client on like how to give feedback on a cold call, like how to listen to the recording, kind of break it down, like why did you pick this and, and how to deliver? And what I heard a lot of was the way the feedback would have been given was, Jeff, You see how you didn't ask that permission-based opener right there? That's something that we talked about, right, Jeff? Yeah, yeah, And you're supposed to do that, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, so what's it going to take for you to do that next time? And it's just like this, like, oh, talk to me like I'm a little kid. And I'm just thinking, you know, imagine if you talk to your siblings like that or your parents talk to you like that or you talk to your spouse like that and you were giving them feedback in that, like, really patronizing Like, hey, we talked about taking out the trash, right? Yeah, and you didn't do that. So what's it gonna take for, you know, it's just like, it would be like, oh, you know, you would just never do that in your personal life. And if you think about it, there's kind of a couple of core things going on. I think one is the delivering of feedback. We talked about this before. It is on leadership and the manager to create an environment where you can get feedback. One simple thing you can do that's actionable, I'm having one of my coaching clients do, is go to your team, In your one-on-ones, in the very next one-on-one you do, you're going to say, Jeff, one thing I feel like I haven't done a good enough job is creating an environment where you can give me feedback on how to do my job better. And I feel really bad about that because I want this to be a two-way street and actually helps you when you feel like you can give feedback to me. So what can I do to make it more comfortable and more inviting for you to do that? And just let them
1: talk. That is a beautiful acknowledgement, Jason. It is also not, notably, an apology. <laughs> I just wanted to say that. <laughs> Creating that environment is so important. I was talking to my daughter earlier today. We had lunch together, because you can do that when you work from home and the kids go to school from home. And she said, Dad, I'm having a rough day. And I said, What's the matter? And something about her math teacher, not You know, Being a little bit critical of her, and this has come up a couple of times, critical of her, I understand and I believe because she holds my daughter to a higher standard because my daughter's pretty intelligent and she tends to get this stuff, but my daughter's not getting the feedback she needs on where she's going wrong. And not only that, when I asked my daughter and I said, well, what if I just had a conference? What if I just had a conversation with your teacher? She said, no, because then she's not going to like being criticized and then she'll take it out on me. I can just ride this out. It's going to be okay. I'm just not happy. I'm dealing with it on my own. She's almost 12, so I can applaud her exploration of this stuff. But I wonder how many people are automatically going to be defensive or feel defensive about receiving feedback to where they assume that the person they need to give feedback to, especially when they know they need to give it, you ratchet up that pressure and the fear of an adverse reaction, let's call it, is just enough to say, yeah, maybe it's not that bad. And again, it gets back to that creating the environment. Like, look, we have an outcome we're trying to achieve here. I, as the leader, I'm going to hold you to your job as it relates to creating that outcome. I need, require, appreciate you holding me accountable to what part of this outcome is my job. And if we can frame everything through the outcome of did it happen or didn't it, then we can all be on the same page. We can realize it's not personal. We can keep things as objective as possible. And we can really be creative about how to solve it from there. There's too much ego in the way. There's too many politics in the way. But even when I think about my daughter, the assumption is it's not going to go well. I think that's what we need to work on in organizations. The base assumption can't be a negative one. No, absolutely. So it's definitely on great. St- I love that story, by the way,
0: because that right there translates directly into what we're talking about. It's the same mm-hmm. stuff. I, and I have a similar story from something my dad went through teaching me with my eighth grade math teacher. Same kind of dynamic, almost same exact thing you're talking about. So let's talk about what to do. What if you are that rep in the situation? Because you might have a manager that takes feedback really personally. Yeah. And This is so tough, man. When I've had to do this and I still feel like this in many instances, depending on who I'm dealing with, with clients, because I normally work directly with the management team. Right. And a VP or C-level person might be involved and it almost feels like they're my boss, you know, and I have to give them feedback on their culture and I don't really interact with these people. And I think the way that, to do that is just to be a little vulnerable. Jeff, this is actually really kind of hard for me to say because <laughs> I don't know how you're going to respond to it. I think that you really are doing a great job here. And I know that you want to accomplish X, Y, Z. And I, I just had some thoughts that I think might help with that. Is it OK if I share it? And if, yeah, if you don't like it, feel free to shoot it down. But I just been on my mind. Is it OK if I share it? And just ask for permission and get them to opt in and be a little vulnerable and let them know that, hey, I'm kind of anxious to share this because I'm not sure how you're going to respond. And I'm not you know, trying to shoot down anything you're working on here. And I want to work together with you. You can do it in that way and give the feedback and get that kind of relationship
1: started with your manager and leadership too. It's so important to ask for what you need. Yep. And if you need feedback, maybe you don't need feedback and you're getting it and you don't feel like you need it. I, I question that. We should talk about that. <laughs> but you got to create the relationship and the relationships work both ways. Hey, look, this is what I need from a leader. This is what I need from you. I've been doing this a while. I feel like I have my technique down. I'm going to need you to show me where I'm going wrong. I'm going to need you to fight battles for me that I can't fight on my own. I'm going to need you occasionally to show up and bring your business card around so people will let us into doors that they wouldn't ordinarily let us in. whatever those things are, but you have to be pretty transparent and pretty upfront with your manager about what you need from her or from him. And uh, if you can't do that, that's a bad situation. But you've got to be the one to speak up. There are too many assumptions I think on the manager's part about this, if you're not willing to advocate for yourself, who will? And if you're not getting something, you need to be able to speak up.
0: All right, that was a super fun episode with my man, Jeff. COVID is great for sales. <laughs> that's still one I'm stuck on. When he suggested that topic, I was like, okay, dude, I see you, man. Okay, let's talk about it, dude. The feedback one, though, is something that's really stuck with me too. And I think a big takeaway and just an action item for you, whether you're a sales leader or a rep is to ask, how good of a job do you do encouraging people and making them feel comfortable giving you feedback, either as a leader or as a rep? How coachable are you? How well do you take feedback? That's the thing I'm going to be thinking about for the rest of the week. Appreciate you tuning into the podcast. Make sure to subscribe, leave a review, all that good stuff if you enjoy the podcast so you can keep it updated when we come out with new episodes. And I appreciate you tuning in. Talk to you later.